The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the second chapter. Now after the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. He sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under. According to the time he had learned from the wise men, then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because there are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and its mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are the land of Israel. For those who, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that he would be spoken through the prophets might be filled. He will be called a Nazarene, the gospel of the Lord. Herod the Great was well-named. He brought economic prosperity to his people, or some of them anyway, and he brought it in many forms. Oftentimes, it seemed by responding positively to the empire, the Roman Empire that was over him and around him. He renamed cities in tribute to the emperor. He built cities that reflected Roman rule and Roman culture. He also rebuilt the temple and improved on it, a colossal feat for sure, especially in that day. In fact, stick with us this year and you'll see how Jesus reacts to the temple economy and how re Jesus reacts to the temple itself, but that comes later. The point today is that Herod was great and he was powerful and he did what great rulers do, what their subjects often want. He made the tough calls. He made the decisions that other people, regular people, didn't want to always make. The ones to keep them safe. Some of them. And so with this intel from the Magi, the wise men, the Zoroastrians, whatever you want to call them, these visitors from the east, with the intel that a king had been born, Herod does what great rulers do. He deals with the threat. And in an act of terror and violence, he sends his soldiers to strike down this threat. Unsuccessfully, of course, but horrifically nonetheless. And on the very last day of our Christmas season celebration, the eve of teachers and students alike rising like spring grizzlies from their caves of slumber, 
Sorry, this story needed attention breaker. <laughs> but on this last 12th day of Christmas, we find ourselves face to face with the story of how power responds to God's kingdom revealed in Christ. It's truly one of the most tragic stories in Scripture. But it would be less tragic, maybe more shocking, but less tragic if it were just this one-time event, a story of an absolutely and definitively evil king who commands this tragic act of terror upon the most innocent of his own citizens. But Matthew takes time to quote the prophet Jeremiah, where Rachel weeps for her children because they are no more. This is a remembrance of one of the darkest times in the history of God's people where they were conquered and killed, taken into exile. Even this story, the story before us today in Matthew's gospel, has to have us thinking back to Moses and God's people coming out of Egypt as Jesus goes into Egypt. And in this kind of bleakest of ironies today, we remember how Moses got his start, right? Why was he put in that basket in the Nile River to begin with? Because the great Pharaoh was afraid that the Hebrew, of the Hebrew people and sought to kill all of the male babies born to them as soon as they were born. That's kind of a little haunting how history can repeat itself in this particular way. But that is the history. It's kind of our human history of power confronting God's kingdom or God's kingdom confronting the powers that be. God's intention for how our world would be. God's intention in Egypt was to bless the people, that they would be fruitful and multiply, a call back to that creation command. But as they multiplied, that turned into fear for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's fear then turned into violence. And so it is very similar for Herod today. It happened in Egypt, and it drove God's people out of that land and into a promised one. It happened in wars for them with Assyria and Babylon and the exile that followed. It happened on slave ships and plantations in our own nation, and it happened in that same nation to First Nation people that were here. And it happened in Australia, and it happened in countless other places. It happened in Nazi Germany. It happens today in Turkey and Syria and South Sudan and on and on and on. Those in control of losing even the least bit of their political or their economic power murder the innocent and the innocence of those without power. Whew. Merry Christmas, PJ. <laughs> and thank you, youth pastor, for reminding me I have a history assignment due tomorrow, right? Well, I can't do anything about your history assignment. Sorry. If you've procrastinated, that's on you. And I can identify with it, but I can't help you. <laughs> But yes, I say, in fact, I proclaim to you today, Merry Christmas indeed. Because without Christmas, all of this is the end of the story. The power wins. The powerful and corrupt win. For this life only, we hope. And as Paul says, if that's our, the case for us, we are of all people most to be pitied. But that doesn't sit right with God. That doesn't sit right with a God of hope and a God of promise. And so Christmas comes. It breaks into our life. I was telling a few people who had an, a pretty unmerry start to their Christmas a couple of weeks ago 
that I like, I kind of like how the French say it. They say, I took Spanish for two years, so pardon my French here, <laughs> but they say, Joya Noel. Is that pretty close? Okay, thanks. Their emphasis in saying that is on joy, and I don't know if this is their intention, but it's not on merriness, it's not on just happiness, which are kind of fleeting and kind of up and down, but it's on joy, that kind of bedrock. I'm a broken record on this one, I know, but joy is, is that more of like a foundation that's, that stands on this promise of God. Joy calls me to see a hope and a reality that goes beyond my feelings from one year to the next, whether I'm merry at Christmas or not. In fact, I remember one particular Christmas where I kind of had to make the choice of being with my new family, because Karen was pretty ill, um, and staying over Christmas or using that ticket and going to be with my birth family. And I probably wasn't a very good husband that year, but I went to be with my birth family, and I was sitting there, and I was up in the balcony as far away as I could be, kind of from, felt like as far away as I could be from God's presence, because that's kind of how I was feeling. It wasn't a good year. And I was sitting there with my arms folded, and my mom was next to me playing the organ, and I wasn't listening, I wasn't singing. And then I remember something that I will always remember my dad saying in his sermon that night. He said, Christmas comes ready or not, like it or not. God breaks into our world with hope. We might not say joy and Noel to each other, but we do sing joy to the world, the Lord is come. We may not realize what kind of a promise and a presence that is to a world in need. This is our Christmas proclamation that goes much deeper than the surface stuff of Christmas. I like to call it our and yet. As Christians, we get to have a lot of and yets. The world is full of tragedy and it's full of violence and corruption. There's a lot of anxiety in our world right now. And yet, life persists. Death is all around us. And yet, we drink in the promise of our first reading today. Did you catch it? It says that he, Jesus, destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. Hope does not bring fear, but courage. Now, some will say that the persistence of life is simply our instinctive fight for survival. Or others might say that it's just the power of the human spirit. Well, you can call it what you will, but today I'm going to call it simply Christmas. I call it the inbreaking of God's merciful kingdom in the flesh, consistent with God's creative love from the beginning of time. For there's no human spirit, there's no instinctive fight for survival without the gift the Creator has given us to live, to breathe, to fight. We're tragically reminded today, on, uh, on the last day of the Christmas season, how the world reacts to a merciful God coming to it in humility, in love, full of grace and truth. It reacts with fear and violence. But you see, Christmas comes in spite of all that. And just as tragic history will repeat itself, so we repeat the celebration of God's promise to us and to the whole world. People often question how God can allow so much suffering. And it's maybe a fair question. But I wonder how much suffering God has endured by, <clears throat> excuse me, knowing that creating a free and open world would allow for us to choose paths 
and secure power by causing one another so much suffering, so much pain, without God's guidance. In fact, the opposite of that, and certainly the opposite of God's will. And I would add that it's difficult for me to question why bad things happen without giving thanks a thousand times more for the life God gives. Even the demigod Russell Wilson cannot throw five touchdown passes today without air and an inhabitable earth and gravity and all these other taken-for-granted gifts of God that we enjoy. Go Hawks, yeah, right. Had to throw that one in there too, I know. But those are gifts no human spirit or will or courage or whatever can muster. They are gifts freely given. And so as Jesus' toddler feet touch ground on the African continent that holds the origins of human life, in a country that holds a particularly painful and difficult part of his people's history, and a continent that would endure colonial genocide many times as deadly as the German Holocaust, Christmas comes. Christmas comes in the darkest human experiences. Otherwise, all the other stuff is the end of the story. Christmas comes, and it is a wonder to behold. For those who affirm their faith today, Christmas comes in their claims, and they're holding on to the hope of God's promise, clinging to it in the midst of the ups and downs of life. And so for one last time, and with them, I say to you, Merry Christmas, Joya Noel. Amen.